You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. But it's not a call for unity at all costs. If we have to choose between unity and and harm being done to those our status quo has made vulnerable, then in the name of justice, love, and compassion, our highest concern should not be maintaining unity. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 422. Our title this week is When Unity is Destructive, and our reading is from the Gospel of John. In the lectionary, we are uh, between the resurrection and the ascension. So John 17, 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So I commented a few weeks ago on the various communities that were represented in the closing chapters of the Gospel of John, as well as the effort of the author or authors uh, of this Gospel to offer legitimacy to each of them in the early Jesus community. Uh, We encounter a a big tent kind of approach for uh, the communities. Uh, This was a, a a community that included the communities of, of Mary, that recognized the authority of Mary, that recognized the authority of John, of Peter and Thomas, and, and as all valuable parts of the much larger early Jesus community. You can find uh, this type of language used in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12, uh, where people are are followers of, of different leaders in the early Christian church. And th- th- again, there's, there's this effort here in the closing chapter chapters of John for all of these various communities to to find place uh, or, or or substance within the Jesus community, the larger Jesus community, some some legitimacy within the larger Jesus community. And this week we're meeting once again the desire of the Johannine community that all of the varied communities of those seeking to follow the moral philosophy and teaching of Jesus in those early years that they would all be one. And I don't think we need to read into this call for oneness, a desire for homogeny. Uh, it, it was instead that each community, with its varied emphasis and characteristics, that they would recognize one another as fellow Jesus followers, as long as one's 
interpretation of Jesus um, wasn't doing harm to the vulnerable and those on the undersides of, of community. What, whether that was accomplished, that's up for historical debate, but, but we read in this week's reading at least that desire being present. Most scholars of, of John see this prayer as the Johannine community's uh, equivalent of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. And this passage also, it includes some, some provocative statements regarding the relationship between Jesus and, quote-unquote, the Father. It's ironic and it's sad that because of this, this prayer in John's Gospel for Oneness was also one of the most significant sources of tension at best and harm and murder at worst between Christians during the 4th and 5th centuries regarding various beliefs of how Jesus was related to divinity. And much harm, we have to be honest about this, much harm has been done around the question of the divinity of the Christ. And on this note briefly, early Christianity wasn't settled on this question. What mattered most to the early Jesus followers was how folks defined and endeavored to follow the once again, the moral philosophy of Jesus, not whether or not they all agreed on how Jesus was or was not divine. And I think we could learn from this today. Before Christianity uh, turned creedal, it was far more in part important uh, how one practiced their Jesus following. Beliefs were important, but they were always held in tension with what fruit those beliefs were actually producing in one's life. Are, are your beliefs manifesting themselves in life-giving ways, or are your beliefs bearing harm? And this is important. Today, I'd much rather have folks that are endeavoring to follow the moral philosophy of Jesus's love in their practices, both uh, personally and socially and politically and economically, even if they have doubts and questions on the bigger faith claims of Orthodox Christianity. Than someone who would who could check off all the theological boxes on the list, but who weren't genuinely endeavoring to follow Jesus's ethical teachings in their daily lives. But but back to the prayer though. This prayer, remember, it was written by a community already one generation removed from the generation of Jesus followers, the first generation of Jesus followers. They were second generation Jesus followers writing this. And the need to repeatedly call for, for unity, it's, it's already, that need is already being felt. And, and, and all of this leads me to a question about unity this week. When is unity life-giving and when is unity death-dealing? Consider the above. One example could be unity over orthodox uh, or orthodoxy, while orthopraxy is ignored. And this means a greater emphasis in those uh, situations, those, those examples. A greater emphasis is placed on all of us believing the same thing, as opposed to a desire that we all be unified in our effort to follow the practice, a, a praxy that, that is rooted in the life-giving definitions of of love or interpretations of love. The creeds 
kids themselves can be example, uh, an example of, of, of this kind of harmful unity. Take the Apostles' Creed for a moment, and I'm going to take some time this week to actually read it. It says, I believe in God the Father uh, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So there's a lot here that I find uh, problematic for Jesus followers today. But one of my biggest concerns is right in this section, and speaking of Jesus, it states, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. We go from Jesus's birth directly to uh, his, his execution. There's zero statements about Jesus Jesus's life and Jesus's teachings, and and the zero. The, 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 this is for many what defines whether a person is a legitimate Christian or not. This is the creed, and but but you don't have to believe anything, much less endeavor to practice anything regarding Jesus's moral philosophy or Jesus's teachings, if we take the creeds literally. And this is concerning. I, I think of other examples where unity is is death-dealing rather than life-giving. I think of how communities that, that suffer harm and injustice are often called to forgive and reconcile with those who have harmed them while no efforts have been made toward restitution or reparations. I, I think of how silence in regards to injustice is called for against those who speak up for the oppressed, as Psalms 82 verse 3 states. And, and this is done in the name of not rocking the boat or not causing a stir. And whenever I, I begin to feel this pressure specifically to remain silent for the sake of unity, I, I take some time to go back and reread King's letter, MLK's letter from uh, a letter from a Birmingham jail in its entirety. Um, here's just a snippet that I think is relevant to our, our discussion this week. He, he wrote, I felt we would be supported by the white church. I felt that white ministers, priests, and rabbis of the South would be among our strongest allies. Instead, some have been outright opponents, refusing to understand the freedom movement and misrepresenting its leaders. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. So often, the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often, it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. And as someone who shares my social location within our present society, I want to be honest about how deep 
the temptation is at times to just stay quiet, to not have the energy to, to rock the boat once again and to justify that silence by a pretense of concern for things like unity. This is the very unity that is indeed death-dealing. And I, I don't read this week's reading as a call for, for this kind of unity. I don't read this week's passage as placing unity as our value of highest priority. It's a call for unity, absolutely, but it's not a call for unity at all costs. If we have to choose between unity and, and harm being done to those our status quo has made vulnerable, then in the name of justice, love, and compassion, our highest concern should not be maintaining unity. This kind of unity leaves the status quo unchallenged and unchanged, and nothing could be further from the spirit of the table-flipping Jesus we read of in the gospel stories. To be a follower of this Jesus and his ethical teachings of love, it, that means not to place our highest concern on maintaining unity within an unjust system. It means our highest priority uh, being uh, transforming our present world into a safe, compassionate, and just home for everyone. And just as we see the Jesus of the Gospels modeling in his own life, it's been said of peace, but but uh, I would also add to that it also to unity, that unity is not the absence of conflict, but the presence. Of, of justice. There is a time for unity. There's also a time for disunity. And may we have the wisdom to, to know the difference between those two. A heart group application this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, share some experiences of where you've witnessed both life-giving and destructive uh, expressions of unity within your communities. And what are some ways that you can foster one and stand up to the other and discuss that with your your group and lastly number three what can you do this week big or small to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe compassionate just home for everyone thanks for checking in with us today right where you are remember keep living in love choosing compassion taking action and working toward justice i love each one of you dearly i'll see you next week mm -hmm.